Paul, come on up. Come on up to grab the mic right there. There we go. A very happy, blessed Sunday morning to everyone. I hope uh, everyone that's here and online is doing well today and enjoying this glorious day that we have outside today. Beautiful weather, everything is back to normal. Just a couple of announcements today. Uh, parents rejoice. Next week, they're reopening the children's church and nursery. <laughs> that's October 25th. More details can be found on the webpage. If you're interested in being involved, i.e., if you would like to be one of the attendants, please contact us through the webpage or, as always, see Carly, please. Uh, it is strongly encouraged that if you do, do drop off your children that you stay for the service. Just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> I mean, we have been quarantined for some time, haven't we? Um, <laughs> Starting, starting on Saturday, November 7th, from 6.30 to 7.30, uh, we, CCA will be adding a new Sunday evening service. As you know, uh, Calvary Chapel Arrowhead, uh, their Wednesday service is currently focused on the corporate intercessory prayer due to our ever-changing times that we're living in today. And in the spirit of teaching the full counsel of God, they're adding a new Sunday evening service beginning November 7th. That's from 6.30 to 7.30. They'll be studying, or will be studying, I shouldn't say they, will be studying the book of the First Thessalonians on Saturdays and then continue with our Sunday study on the book of Exodus. All are invited to come together to continue your studies in both the Old and the New Testament. So that's important. Some very exciting stuff starting on November 7th. And today, October 18th at 11.30 a.m., there is a young adult skating uh, outing. That's at the AZ Ice uh, uh, Arena. It's at 15829 North 83rd area, uh, Avenue. That's in the P83 area there. And the cost is, uh, total cost is $13.00. $9.50 to get in and $3.50 for skate rental. They don't provide helmets. So please make sure you bring a helmet. I would suggest knee pads, maybe a pillow for the back, shin guards. If I were skating, I would need all of that. So uh, again, that's at 1130 today. So uh, if you want to hustle out of here to go ice skating, it's going to be warm outside. It might be nice. If you're not rushing to go ice skating, right after service today, there will be a, uh, everyone that signed up to be a part of the Skituations Children's Church Drama, the team will be meeting in the youth room right after service today. Paul, what is Skituations, you might ask? Skituations is the Children's Church Soap Opera, where the adults and the teens will portray real life situations in learning how to live the Christian life. This weekly quote-unquote reality show presents biblical solutions to solve real life conflicts. I'm making light of it, but it is very serious and it should be very fun. So even if you haven't signed up to be involved, but you are interested, please, you should attend the meeting 
immediately after services today in the youth room. And now I will introduce somebody that I'm familiar with to read today's uh, scripture reading. Hannon. I, I kind of know her. Good morning. Why don't you stand to hear God's word? <clears throat> we will be reading from Exodus 34:10 this morning. And he said, "Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have never been done in the earth." nor in any nation, in all the people among you who shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day, and behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants that you are inhabitants, excuse me, of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare to you in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the god whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with your gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of their sacrifice. Gods, and make you sons play the harlot with your, sorry, let's go back. Exodus 34, 16. This is really small, and I'm getting very old, <laughs> so. Thank you, Lord, that I can read this. Um, and you take of your daughters and your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to guess, that you have left it all for us so plainly to see. Lord, I pray that you would send Holy Spirit to decipher these words so that we would be clear and that we would follow them and that we would not fall into the ways of the unrighteous. I thank you, Jesus, for your word. I pray that we would listen today and hear and that it would go deeper than just surface, but it would commit to our hearts and we would follow your wo uh, words throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout this year, and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, we pray all of these things. Amen. All right. All right. Well, um, just FYI, we have Angel who is recovering from surgery. And Natalie is up in, 
at, uh, up north with family members because they, uh, well, Richard Carrillo, you know, they are related to them as extended family, so they're doing some ministry up there for them. So that's why you got the third string when it comes to worship this morning. Yeah, God is good, huh? <laughs> he is. And I also want to say hello again to my Philippine friends. God bless you. And if you get anything out of this, it's not my fault. <laughs> All right. We are in Exodus chapter 34. And Moses is face down in worship. It seems like we've been hovering over this section of scripture for a few weeks, and I don't know about you, but I found it very deep and very rich, and I have been blessed and challenged by it. He has realized in his short time with the God of the universe that he can be a terror and a danger to his own people as well as call them friends and draw them in. Is that how you see God? God has just revealed his goodness to Moses, and it's undone him. Those of you who love C.S. Lewis, remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that the Penzances, Lucy and Peter and what was that other girl's name? Susan, see, you guys know this story. They find themselves in the beaver's house, okay? Have you ever found yourself in a beaver's house? <laughs> All right, well, in this work of fiction, they do. And they're told of a, what we know as a Christ figure, Aslan, who is a lion, but he is the one that's going to restore Narnia to its former beauty, right? And when, when Lucy hears that it, the king, Aslan, is a lion, says, is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. One day, all the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And he will both be a terror to those who do not believe and safe for those of us who do. I look forward to that day when I am with him face to face and things are restored. I don't know where we are going in our culture today and in our society, um, but I have concerns. How about you? Yeah, a few. Now, Moses has been called to follow God without looking back, right? He's leading a nation to its homeland, the promised land, the land of milk and honey, all right? Sounds sticky, doesn't it? The journey is going to be dangerous, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be unpredictable. He's going to face enemies, both within his own family and within the nation 
and without the nation. It's going to feel like everybody's against him. You ever feel that way? Right? Like Calvin and Hobbes. How many of you are Calvin and Hobbes fans? Yeah, right? Hobbes asks Calvin, do you believe in God? And Calvin says, I sure do. Hobbes stops in his tracks. You do? He goes, yeah, someone's out to get me. <laughs> right? But God will be with him. And God will be merciful. And God will be good. Can you say, God will be with me? God will be merciful. And God will be good. Amen. And you told that to the person sitting next to you, right? When we see the goodness of God for what it is, we should not hesitate to ask that it be extended to us and extended to those for whom we are praying for. If we know that God is good, we should ask him, be good to us. Please be merciful. And if we know that he is forgiving, then we should ask him to forgive us. Absolutely. The knowledge of God is therefore not a passive exercise. When we know him, it leads us to receive from him. And I prayer is that you receive from him this morning. Now Moses is going to take it a step further than this. He's going to go beyond only asking these things for himself. He's going to ask them on behalf of the nation. Are you asking God to forgive our nation? Are you asking God to be good to our nation? Well, this is called intercession, and it's very, very necessary. So let's look at verse 8, and I want you to notice that God is praying the promises of God. It says, So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshipped. That was to the revelation of the glory of God, which is his goodness. And he said, verse 9, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us, as your inheritance. If there is one principle in securing the goodness of God on others, it is this. Plead the promises of God. If we know that he hears us, it says, we know that we have what we ask of him in 1 John chapter 5. Does he hear his promises? Maybe sometimes you're not too sure, huh? You've been praying for his promises, right? And even though, you know, you've been standing out in the backyard, you've got your Bible open, and you're going, excuse me, right here, you see that? Right there, you see that? You said that. You promised. You promised. Moses asked for three things. He said, God, go among us. And God had promised to do that. Look at uh, chapter 33, verse 14. And he said, that is God, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So Moses just prayed. We found grace in your sight, Lord. Go among us. Come with us. Don't leave me with these kids alone. How many of you ever said that to your spouse? 
He asked God to pardon their iniquity and their sin. Why? Well, first of all, if he didn't pardon their iniquity and sin, they're going to be toast. And secondly, because God said it was part of his character to do that, right? Look at chapter 34, verse 7. 34, 7. This is my nature. I'm paraphrasing. I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. All right, then. Well, if that's who you are, then please, will that be what you do for us? And then thirdly, he asks God to take these people as his inheritance. That means to take these people as his own special people. Special people. Do you feel special? Your mama said you were special. Remember? Okay. Now back in chapter 19, verse 5, and you can turn there just so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. God had said, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me. When I was in junior high, my vice principal of the junior high, Alan Ramey, who was very instrumental in my walk with the Lord, had told me one day when I was in his office, you know, Dennis, you're one of my favorite people. For a junior high kid who was shorter than all the girls on the campus and who was bald-headed when everybody else had the long, cool hair, that meant something to me. That spoke to my heart. And here in Exodus 19.5, says, If you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be a special treasure to me above all people. And notice he says, For all the earth is mine. Do you remember fighting with your siblings over toys and objects? That's mine, right? And implied is, if you touch it, I'm cutting your hand off. The whole earth is his. When we see people squabbling over land in our world, we forget that this earth belongs to him. And he can put any people, any place, he wants. Just think about that for a moment. We know the climate is changing. Okay? I'm not saying why it's changing or what's causing it. It's just obvious. All right? What's going to happen if the United States becomes a desert? We're going to have to migrate somewhere. We're going to have to find a new place to live, right? He has his ways, guys. He has his ways to move people where he wants them to be. So be careful about how possessive you get over the land. Just saying, and that was for free, okay? I'm not going to charge you for that. Now, back in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham a land flowing with milk and honey. And now he's in the process of fulfilling that promise. Andrew Murray says that the promises of God are a threefold cord that cannot be broken. The promises of God. When God promises something, it will be done. You can count on it, all right? 
God is promising Moses a special relationship between himself and the people. He's promising his pardon. He's promising his protection. He's promising his provision. provision, And he's also promising them a privileged place in his sight. He's given that to us too in Jesus Christ, by the way. Just so you know. Just so you know. 2 Peter 1.3. Why don't you turn there? New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We're special. We're unique. And there is a promised land that he is bringing us to, a paradise of God, And in the journey, he is preparing us for that place. Okay? I need you to remember that. Because you're going to go through trials, and you're going to claim and pray the promises of God. And it's going to sound like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and dropping to the ground. And that maybe this isn't really real. No, it's real, all right. And I'll explain a little bit of that in a moment. But the point is, the point is, He's preparing you for a place. He is preparing you for a place. Didn't your parents prepare you to go to your grandmother's house? Didn't your parents prepare you to go to church or to celebrate Christmas or Easter with relatives? Did they just let you go as you woke up out of the bedroom in your pajamas? And Well, maybe you, okay. But Elizabeth, you're special. No, we're always being prepared. And what's being prepared is your character. And you're going to dress like Jesus. You're going to look like him. That's the process that you're going through right now. Did you know the book you're holding is filled with promises? Peter called them precious promises. One um, commentator says there are 7,000 plus promises of God. How many do you know? Of those 7,000. Now, let's be clear. Some promises are made to specific people or peoples and may not apply to us. Okay? When God promised the promised land to Abraham, that was not to Dennis. That was to Abraham and his descendants. Okay? So some promises are to specific people and don't apply to us. And some promises are conditional. There's an if and a then. If you will keep your mind on me, then I will keep you in perfect peace. That's a promise, okay? And some are fulfilled in very peculiar ways, and we will see that. 
But the point is, God is good, and he's teaching us to pray his promises for ourselves and for others through intercessory prayer. So here's some principles that we need to be aware of when we're praying his promises. First of all, God is not going to answer your prayers when your motives are off. James 4, 3. You can turn there in the book, New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 3. If you're praying with a consumer mentality for your own ends, probably not going to see the answer to those prayers because his promises are not magic incantations where, you know, I name it, I claim it, therefore I have it. <clears throat> and if I just insulted you, please forgive me. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay? So if you are praying with a consumer mentality, probably not going to get answered. It's also true that if our hearts are not right with each other, that he's not going to answer our prayers. Matter of fact, it talks about husbands dwelling with their wives with knowledge, that your prayers be not hindered. Prayers can be hindered by our not getting along with one another, by our unforgiving spirits, by bitterness that we hold in our hearts. And then there's also, if there's undealt sin with, undealt with sin in your life, David said, right? If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. Okay, so that, that's obvious stuff, right? But this is also true. Psalm 84, 11, if you want to jump over there, because I want to encourage you and not just leave you in a state where you think that none of your prayers will ever, ever be answered. Not true. Eventually, he has a way of getting you around his way of thinking. <laughs> Amen. Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. And here's the part that I want you to focus in on. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. He will withhold no good thing. He will withhold no good thing. So I guess if you're going to do what is right, then you need to get down to basics. What is the purpose of prayer anyway? There is a purpose. Did you know that? There is a singular purpose for all prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God and accomplish his will. That's where you're going to find your greater good. Remember Frozone? From the Incredibles, looking for his super suit. I said, woman, where is my super suit? And she said, why do you need to know? I need it for the greater good. And then what she say? I am your greater good. Right? This is how we should pray, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, before you get discouraged there and go, oh, man, I knew there was something. Don't forget, heaven is paradise. It's kind of where everybody wants to be when they leave planet Earth. 
right? When they pass from this life. So it's got to be good, right? Uh, um, Carly gave me uh, something for pastor appreciation. By the way, thank you all for your wonderful gifts and things. Um, I'm going to send Sherry over to your house to give you a, a singing telegram of thanks. But she gave me um, chocolate-covered raisins. And you know in heaven there are bowls of chocolate-covered raisins on every corner. That fact alone, chocolate-covered raisins, that fact alone should help you endure disappointment when your prayers seem to go unanswered. No, paradise. There was a pastor in World War II, he was actually a priest, and he had a ministry that was burgeoning. This is back in Europe, in, in Poland, as a matter of fact, and he happened to be sitting at a map, and he, and he or sitting at his desk, and he had a globe, and his hands were on the globe, and he was praying for this missions outreach that he wanted to do. He was excited, and he knew he was praying in God's will. He knew that he was praying for something that God would honor, and he was excited about it. But in the midst of that prayer, Nazis busted his door down and hauled him off to prison. Well, that's not very nice, right? Well... This, this father found another purpose in his suffering. In the prison, he became not only a, a model prisoner, but he became the one that began to care for everybody else in the prison, giving up his starvation rations to other prisoners, giving his blanket to others, and going to each bunk and praying for them and listening to their story. And when they were lined up, uh, the, the commander of the camp was, well, actually, they lined, um, let, me, let me back it up. They were brought out and forced to stand in the August heat because some of the prisoners from his barracks had escaped. And so they were going to stand there until they found them. And since they couldn't find them, they said, okay, for every prisoner escaped, we're going to take 10 people and kill them. 10 to 1 ratio. They got to this one guy, and he started to whimper and cry, and Father Jaworski said, I'll go in his place. The commander said, well, you're a priest, so you're not going to last very long anyway, so okay, fine. And they put him in this place where they just basically shut the door and wait for them to die. So they die of dehydration, they die of starvation, whatever. And usually they would hear all of these horrific screams coming from this place. You can read this story, by the way, Chuck Colson's book um, called the book that I can't remember right now. What is it? The body. That's right. Who said that? Oh, my wife said that. Thank you. I can't tell. You guys got masks on. All right, so instead of screams and howls, they had praise and worship coming from them. And yeah, they all passed away, and the last one to die was Father Jaworski himself. Were his prayers answered? Yeah, they were answered. Not quite the way he thought they would be answered, but they were answered. I love that story. Thank you, Sherry. Now, sometimes we do get disappointed 
because it seems like our prayers are going unanswered, even though we've read the word, we've been in the studies, and we know that we are to hold the Bible up to God and show him that these are things that you promise. And we're supposed to pray with expectation that they will be answered. So it gets frustrating when you don't see the answer. Now, am I just speaking from my own experience, or can anybody testify that you've been there and you've seen that? That's right. All right. Well, I want you to understand that even Jesus experienced unanswered prayer. Are you aware of that? Okay. The gospel records three times Jesus praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Right before the crucifixion, right before he was taken prisoner. He prayed that God would take that cup of suffering from him in the garden. Um, and, and it wasn't, and by the way, the cup, that's just a metaphor for a shameful, horrible experience you're about to go through. And, and it wasn't the pain that he was worried about. I don't believe it was the scourging and uh, the nails piercing him. I think it was the things that he didn't want to go through was burying on his body the sins of the world and being made sin and a curse for all of mankind and then being forsaken by his father, which he had never experienced before, ever in existence. And I think that was what caused him to drop to the ground and sweat drops of blood and to pray the prayer, take this cup from me if it's possible. But nevertheless, the caveat, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? Now he had promises. In Psalm 91, 11, um, God said that he would order his angels to protect the son wherever he went, that they would hold him up with their hands so he wouldn't even hurt his own foot on a stone. Remember Satan quoted that one to him in the temptation? But he also had a mission. Isaiah 53, and you can turn there if you want. Isaiah 53.3. It says, He, that is Jesus, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, and he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped that we could be healed. You see, there was a greater purpose being served. The salvation of his very own creation. That outweighed his desire to have that cup passed. Now, when I don't get my prayers answered, I tend to develop a little attitude. How about you? Yeah. What was Jesus' attitude? Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. God didn't answer his prayer. He said, no, son, you're going to have to go through this horrible experience. So, to quote uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jesus acquiesced to his request, right? For the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy was to be with us, redeeming his creation, and then sitting down at the right hand of God, having the glory restored that he once shared. He knew that that was coming, so he endured the cross. He endured it. Paul would say many, many times that that's what we have need of. Perseverance and endurance. Does that mean he doesn't care about your need, whatever your need may be? No, he absolutely does care. You are his personal concern, and he will provide for all of your needs through his riches in Christ Jesus, no matter what that need is. But oftentimes, you don't really know what you need. He knows best. Remember, remember that TV show, Father Knows Best? Well, it's true. Your father does know best what you need. So you should acquiesce to his request and endure and persevere and ask for patience, ask for strength to endure. I mean, even Jesus had to trust Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Did you ever think about that, that Jesus had to depend on him the same way we do? It's true. John Corson says, the key to prayer is request and rest. Okay, request and rest. I love seeing you guys taking notes on this because that means it's touching your heart. That's the way Jesus prayed. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's my request. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, and that's where I will rest. He could rest in the goodness of God because there were still other promises awaiting him, like Psalm 101, or excuse me, 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. And then Revelation 11.15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. Okay? You have a greater promise than the promise of a new car or the promise of your next mortgage payment. You have a greater promise. You have the promise of being a priest and a king in the kingdom of God and an eternity in paradise. Not shabby. Whenever we have any doubts about the love of God, all we need to do is go back to the promise he has made to us. And if the one that you think applies to your situation is not working for you, then you need to dig and find the one that is. All right? So, Know the word. It might be one thing or it might be another. And whatever it is, Hebrews 10.35 is still true. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Isn't that cool? I love how it all connects. It all puts it together. Who knew, right? All right. Let's go back to Exodus 34, and we're going to see God promise wonders, not the Oneaters, okay? Not the wonders for you, that thing you do, fans. Do any of you get my obscure entertainment references? Thank you. 
Exodus 34, verses 10 and 11. And he said, this is God speaking now, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people I will do marvels, such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom, excuse me, among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. You see, you knew, you knew God came from Southern California, right? <laughs> Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and your cellulite. Okay? <laughs> Notice that he promises to do marvels. Marvel, that's a verb, and it means Captain America, the Hulk, Spider-Man, and Iron Man. Did you know that? No. <laughs> it means to do something wonderful, to do something extraordinary or difficult. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth. I'm driving out before you the Amorites and Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, I want to show you just a couple examples of the marvels, of the things that he's talking about here. Because we have a tendency to pass over these verses and not really, really let it sink into our hearts of what your God is able to do. Joshua chapter 3. Turn to the book of Joshua, okay? And we're going to end up in uh, the 10th chapter. But before you get to the chapter 10, of course, there, there are nine chapters that go before that, right? In Joshua chapters 3 through 5, God parts the Jordan River very much like he parted the Red Sea. And they walk across the Jordan River into the promised land on dry ground. Okay? Now in Arizona, that's, that's easy to do. You look at all the maps, you see all the rivers and lakes that we have in our state. Yeah, it's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. But I've been to the Jordan River and I saw it. And yes, God parted it and they walked across. Okay, then in Joshua chapter 6, they hit Jericho, and you guys remember, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? Fought the battle of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down, they had seven guys going around with ram's horns, and behind them were these other guys carrying a box between staves, the Ark of the Covenant, and then following all of that, the army just walking around the city wall quietly, not saying a word, going around the wall one day and then going back home. Of course, and, and if you were one of, the, uh, one of the French peas up on top of the wall, for you VeggieTale fans, you're looking down at this going, what in the world? You better go get your, your uh, weapons of slushies so you can pour on their heads, right? Now, they did this every day for six days. They're, they're out there pacing around the city, but then on the seventh day, they are back again early in the morning. They march around the city not one time, but seven times. And after the seventh time on the seventh day, there's that long blast with the trumpets. And the people began to shout. And as they did, what happened? The walls of Jericho fell. Now, for most people, that's a very unlikely story. Okay? But archaeology has shown that, no. There were walls there, and they did fall down. And they fell down in such a way 
is that they could walk over the walls and get into the city. And not a single Israelite was hurt, all right? But even, even if you don't want to accept that, or you, you don't have that archaeological proof, you should have no problem if your God is big enough. How big is your God? God brought down the walls of Jericho, and the city was taken by Joshua and the children of Israel. But here's an even greater wonder. Okay, that, that's pretty fantastic. Remember, it's, I'm going to do things that are awesome. Well, check this one out. Look at Joshua chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Okay, Joshua is chasing out the Amorites. And that's a whole group of people. That's sort of a group name for lots of different people that were living there at the time. I think he's chasing like five kings at this time, five different kings. And he and he's doesn't have enough time to get everything done. You guys know what that is. There's never enough time in any day to get everything done, right? And he does something pretty remarkable. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day, verse 12, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, he didn't just keep this to himself. He didn't just whisper this request to himself. He made it known. He said, sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. When's the last time you told the earth to do anything like that without swearing at it? Okay. So the sun stood still, it says in verse 13, and the moon stopped. Okay, yes, I know, I know, no, the sun doesn't orbit around the earth, okay? This is figurative speech, but it actually happened. The sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What did Moses, what did he just say to Moses? I'm going to do something that is awesome. It's never been done before and will never be done since. Now, here's an interesting thing. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Emmanuel Velikovsky? Okay. Well, you see, I, I love Chuck Smith, and when he, I was studying Joshua with him, he talks about this guy, and this just fascinated me. Um, Emmanuel Velikovsky is a scientist. He's not a collision, uh, not a collision. He's not, yeah. <laughs> he is not a believer. He's not a Christian is what I tried to say. And he wrote a book called Worlds in Collision, all right? And he had this theory that the planet Venus entered into our solar system in recent history, okay? And at about the time of Joshua, he accounts for the long day of Joshua as to have resulted from a near miss of the planet Venus to the Earth before it got established in its orbit around the sun. He believes that the Earth used to rotate the opposite direction on its axis until this near pass. And the entrance of Venus into our solar system caused the Earth to stop in its rotation and reverse. Now think about that. All right? I mean, if it all suddenly stopped, what would happen to us? I mean, it's, it's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. What happens if something stops? Now, we're all going to go flipping around, right? 
Okay, so it gradually comes to a stop, and then it reverses its direction. Now, to put his theory to the test, he theorized that if there was a long day during Joshua's time, that other places in the world would record a long night, right? So here in America, the Native Americans would, or the Indians that lived at the, I don't know the correct term to say right now, would have recorded a long night. Because if there was a long day there, there would be a long night here. And in different places in the world, it would be recorded as either a long afternoon or a long morning or whatever, all right? So he carefully traced through the history of the Inca Indians, and sure enough, he found in their records the story of a long night over here in this hemisphere when the sun didn't come up for the space of a whole night. And during that time, there were cataclysmic, cataclysmic things that took place, like earthquakes and storms and floods and tidal waves, which could be explained by the Earth stopping and reversing its rotation. Now, Czech noted that, he, that Mr. Velikovsky is not a Christian and not even a believer in God. He's just a scientist who had a theory about the planet Venus that entered in our sphere recent in recent history. But he used the Bible as proof. And then he followed it up and proved historically that it could have happened that way, showing in the ancient records. So is that absolute proof? Well, no, I wouldn't say that it's absolute proof. But it's interesting. But for me, I don't need the absolute proof. You want to call me a moron? Fine. My God is big enough to do that without having to have scientifically come about. Why? Because the word declares it. So just how big is your God, guys? What's going on in your life that is overwhelming you? Is your God big enough to handle it? Um, do we have time to do this? We sort of do. Let's go on a road trip. Genesis 18.14. Let's go. Genesis 18.14. Hang in there, Elizabeth. We're almost done. I know some of my sermons are the best naps I've ever had, too. <laughs> Genesis 18.14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Right? Remember, he's talking to Sarah. Sarah, you know, you're 90? Yeah, well, by this time next year, you're going to be pregnant. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Thankfully not. And God can also triumph our weak faith. In Jeremiah 32, 17, let's go there. Head over to the prophets, guys. Pass the Psalms into the prophets. <clears throat> Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is what? It's nothing. How many things are nothing? Nada. There's nothing too hard for you. Okay, now go down to verse 27, same chapter. This is God speaking now. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? It's rhetorical, guys. You don't answer that. 
There's nothing too hard for him. The historian Tertullian said, of course there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Now turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, New Testament, okay? First book of the New Testament. Matthew 19, 25. Jesus has just made a statement that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And to the mindset of first century people, that was like no way. Because if you're rich and blessed, that means God has blessed your life and you are definitely going to heaven. And Jesus says, not so. Disciples heard it, verse 25, they were greatly astonished, saying, who can be saved then? And Jesus looked at them and he said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's repeated in Mark 10, 27. With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. This is the angel talking to Mary about the conception she's about to experience. And then, of course, Jesus again in Luke 18, 27. The things which are impossible with men are impossible with men are possible with God. Okay? All things are possible, guys. All things are possible. We're living in a time when we're wondering if revival is possible. Okay? We're living in a time when we see the, what, you, what we metaphorically call the writing on the wall. All right? If things continue the way they're going and if uh, things could turn south real quickly, we could be in for some very, very interesting weather culturally. And we're wondering if revival is possible. If the goodness of God will be restored to our nation, will he forgive us our sin? And will the church step up and be the church like it should be? Salt and light to our community. Salt and light to our culture. Will he pardon us? Will his hand of protection and provision and privilege still be upon us? And I'm not talking about white privilege. I'm just talking about the privilege of living in the greatest nation on earth. Spurgeon had the same thoughts. We look upon the church at home in the present day. It is steeped in worldliness and smothered with false doctrine. Lo, the many have turned aside from the gospel and given themselves up to a thousand errors. How can the evil be cured? Does that sound like today? It is to be cured. It must be cured. It shall be cured. For thus saith Jehovah, is anything too hard for me? Revival is possible. Our God is still a God of wonders. Amen. Let's not forget that. Psalm 77, 11. You like how that? I like how that goes. 77, 11. Get a big gulp right there. Let's take a big gulp of scripture here. Psalm 77, 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. 
I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. So since this is true, guys, God is inviting us to pray the same way Moses prayed. We've got to make our intercessions on the basis of his gracious promises and of his glorious perfections. The revival that God is to give will be given an answer to prayer. It must be asked and received directly from God himself. And if you know anything about the history of revivals, you know how often this has been proved. Large or small, doesn't matter. It's all traced back to special intercessory prayer. And the coming revival will be no exception. Andrew Murray said, an extraordinary spirit of prayer, urging believers to much secret and united prayer, pressing them to labor fervently in their supplications will be one of the surest signs of approaching showers and floods of blessing. And he says, oh, that we would turn eyes and heart from everything else and fix them upon this God who hears prayers until the magnificence of his promises and his power and his purpose of love overwhelm us. I don't know about you, but as long as I can still read this word and pray, I'm going to have great expectations. I'm going to pray for revival. And I hope you will join me in that also. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand, please. <coughs> Worship team, why don't you come on up, please? <coughs> 